Welcome back to another episode of the Outsider Sports Baseball Podcast. Corey Jason here again alongside Ben Mandel, John Pauline. Got an action-packed episode for you guys. Some WBC. We're getting into the corner finals. Knockout time. Let's get it. Go USA. Then up, we got the NL West breakdown. Two of the best teams in baseball, Dodgers, Padres. It's going to be fun, but let's get it started here with the good old U.S. of A. The U.S. beat Columbia to advance to the knockout round. And guys, now they're going to be playing Venezuela. Venezuela Venezuela went 4-0 and in their pool. They went undefeated against, you know, Puerto Rico and the DR. Two vaunted teams. On their roster, Venezuela, they have Altuve, Miggy, Salvi, Acuna, Glaber, Luis Arias, Andres Jimenez, Eugenio Suarez, Anthony Santander. That game is going to be on Saturday, March 18th, 7 o'clock. Wainwright's going to start. But backtracking a little bit, the U.S. did win a game. I'm going to call this one the Michael Nelson Trout game. Mike Trout of Vineland, New Jersey, relatively local guy to some of us here. He started it off with a triple in the first inning, but got stranded at first. Looked a little dire there. Then he singled home Mookie Betts in his next at bat for the first run of the game. Then with the U.S. down 2-1 on the top of the fifth, runners on first and second, bam. Yabo, home run for Mike Trout. Just Captain America giving us a spark. The new Captain America, I should say. Just, it's great seeing the best player in baseball do things for what I believe is the best country in the world. Other teams playing, though. Cuba knocked out Australia 4-3 in their quarterfinals. They're going to play the winner of the U.S.-Venezuela game, where the winner of that will move on to the championship. Japan beat Italy 9-3 to go on to the semis. Otani pitched five shutout innings in that one. They're going to play the winner of Puerto Rico, Mexico. Puerto Rico beat the Dominican Republic to get to the quarterfinals, but Puerto Rico did lose something along the way. Edwin Diaz, Torres, Pateller, Tendon, while celebrating their 5-2 win over the uh, tournament favorites, Dominican Republic. Guys, it's tough when you see a player injured, especially a great player like Diaz. Ben, I know you're a Met fan, so this one really hits close to home. But should players be wary of joining into the tournament and playing, especially so close to the regular season? Should players not care? Should teams, you know, hold back some of their better players because it's a long season? What do you? How do you guys feel about this? I mean, look, it's very, very, very difficult to swallow, right? It is a tough one to live with because the bottom line is, you know, like, ah, oh, why was he there? Like, you're going to think that. But if, you know... You look at this, it can happen at any time because this injury didn't even happen while they were playing. It was the celebration after the game. And, Corey, I know being a Giant fan like me, I'm sure you remember the Victor Cruz Patella injury. And it is one of those that just, it's like non-contact. It feels like just one slight move can do it. And that's... And that seems to be what happened while they were all celebrating. It's it's just really difficult to deal with now. He's going to be done for the year. And that's even harder to deal with. I know last night 
when it, you saw it happen, you just think, oh, hopefully it's just not as bad as it looks. Well, it is clearly, clearly worse and it is bad. It is not one of those things where you can hope for better news at this point. So really just a difficult thing for the Mets. This is a guy who was supposed to lock down the back end of their bullpen. When you lose your best reliever, it is definitely difficult to deal with that. It is difficult to adjust to that. And for the Mets and Edwin Diaz, it's unfortunate. But like they say, next man up. That's really just the only way you can go about it. Yeah, it's just a really tough time. I really feel bad seeing Diaz go down like that. I do think they could handle the tournament better, play it, you know, closer to the end of the season, November, December. But on the flip side, I do think teams and players should really be excited to play. We saw there was an interview with a bunch of players from, I believe, the DR in Puerto Rico, and they were asked what meant more to them, winning the WBC, the World Baseball Classic, or winning a World Series. And most of them said the World Baseball Classic, while one said it was a tie. None said the World Series meant more to them. And I think Major League Baseball is realizing this, and that's why they aren't fighting it, because they see what this does for the world. We saw in Great Britain, a team that never won a World Baseball Classic game, they were held as heroes by kids in England. There was this one video I saw where kids, like they looked elementary school age. They had the face of one of the players taped to their head and were pretending they were knighting him because they won a game and he played well. It's amazing to see what baseball is doing around the world. And while it might not feel that way here in the States, baseball is growing and it's exciting to see. I wish they took care of some other things and did some things different, but the fact is the game is growing and this is a big factor in that. And, you know, I could see this tournament expanding in size eventually too down the road. And I'm not going to say it's going to rival the World Cup, but it might be held in a higher esteem than it currently is. And with every new passing cycle of the World Baseball Classic, that statement does ring true. It is more exciting to watch. More people are watching and more people are caring. And that's what really matters. So these players, they really should be playing unless they have actual injuries. A guy like Judge and other stars around the league should be playing even if it is this close to the season because they're repping their country. So while you might want them to push it back to November, December, and they should, for the matter of fact, it's here now and nothing should change uh, about players wanting to play. Look, I, I agree. I think players should want to be there. I think not necessarily going into November, December, obviously that would be an, an ideal world for me. I think that they should actually take a page out of the NHL and what they do for the Winter Olympics because they'll just put their season on hold for three weeks. I think Major League Baseball can do this. I think you get rid of the All-Star break and you take basically from the beginning of July up till about July 23rd to the 24th-ish. And you let these players go out and play in the World Baseball Classic. I think what Major League Baseball needs to realize is this is what's going to grow the game internationally, not Major League Baseball playing games in other countries 
but the World Baseball Classic, where these players can legitimately go out and play for their countries and truly represent them. When you have guys who are not playing, who are good enough to represent their country, it it's frustrating for those teams because and those people in those countries because now they're not going to watch because they know oh you know what the the United States is Mike Trout and all and this guy and that guy and we don't have anybody so you know it does make it a little bit more difficult for these teams to watch and these fans to watch but at the same time I mean ideally November December would be great I I know there are guys who are trying to play for contracts but I mean it's people play winter ball like. You can't just be scared to get hurt playing the game. I understand the contracts. I understand the investments. And I understand what it can do for your future. But the bottom line is, if you're scared to get hurt playing the game, why are you playing at all? You can get hurt while you're playing for your team as well. It's one of those things that, you know, you can't have, you can't play the game with that fear of getting injured. Unfortunately, injuries do happen. But once this things like that start to happen, that's when the quality of play dips because even the guys who are there aren't trying their hardest because they don't want to quote unquote get hurt. And that's just not how you play the game. I think what they're doing right now during spring training, like how is it really any different from, you know, these players playing spring training? Because like if they're not playing in the World Baseball Classic, they're going to be playing in spring training and there's still a chance for them to get hurt during that. It's just that it looks bad on the team and the player that they're going to play for a whole different team. And then, you know, and then if they do get hurt, it just kind of looks bad. And, you know, it leaves like probably like a sour taste in the fans mouth. But it's like they still should play because I, I don't see it any different from spring training. And I don't understand why people are getting so mad because a lot of these are upset with the injuries and stuff about it or not wanting to play. Because it's like almost like a once in a lifetime chance, you know, go play for your country, chance to, you know, you know, get a gold medal and stuff. And I sure a lot of these players, you know, playing for their country means a lot to them. And I don't think they really mind getting injured. But some of these teams do have like a lot, a lot of money tied up in these players and it's just if they get hurt, you know, playing for another team outside of your team, it's just it looks bad and feels bad because, you know, that's a lot of money, you know, wasted. Yeah. And Diaz is a prime example of that with the amount of money that the Mets just gave him. I'm pretty sure that's a record deal for a reliever. So for the Mets to give him that much money and now he's not even going to pitch an inning in year one of this deal. That's an issue. You sign him to a five-year deal. You expect years one through three to be the good years, not years five, four and five. So definitely something that the Mets are going to be concerned about. It's And you know what? It is unfortunate. But again, injuries are part of the game. They happen. Everybody, and I mean everybody, is going to have to deal with them throughout the season, whether they happen in the World Baseball Classic or they happen during the season. I do love your idea, Ben, about what? to do and play in the summer, just like how hockey does with the Winter Olympics. I think that's fantastic. That'll be a little uh, tough with the season, you know, adding about a week and a half on either end. I'm not sure if the union will go for it, but I think that might end up being the best course of action because then you could take the uh, qualifying rounds and spread it around. There's no reason for the U.S. to have two pods. You can put one in Great Britain or uh, in Canada and grow the game that way by, by getting players – who aren't normally seen in person by different places playing there. Mike Trout could be playing in Saskatchewan in this type of scenario, and that's fantastic. 
But speaking of Mike Trout's nationally counterpart, Mookie Betts, his Dodgers led NL West last season with a 111-51 record. And uh, following the Dodgers in those standings, the Padres, 89-73, Giants, 81-81, Diamondbacks, 74-88, Rockies, 68-94. So really top-heavy league. Literally, you had two teams above 500, two teams below, with one team smack dab in the middle. The Dodgers had one of the great all-time seasons. 111 wins is something that you rarely ever see. But let's start it out at the bottom with the Rockies. The Rockies are trotting out Kyle Freeland, Herman Marquez, Jose Urena, Austin Gomber, Ryan Feltner. They're sending uh, to the field, catching Elias Diaz, first base C.J. Crone, second base Ryan McMahon, third base Elhuris Montero, DHing Charlie Blackman, shortstop Ezekiel Tovar, left field Chris Bryant, center field Jonathan Daza, right field Sean Bouchard. Two things to note, though. Second baseman Brandon Rogers is out for the year with a left shoulder uh, injury. And Randall Grichuk will be end up being their center fielder, but he's on the IL right now with a bilateral sports hernia. So my question for you guys, are there any positives in Colorado? It just seems like they're heading lower and lower, down and down. And even some of their bright stars just aren't bright enough. How do you guys feel? Yeah, Corey, there are some bright spots here for the Colorado Rockies. There aren't many. And one of the non-bright spots is the division they play in. And it just makes it very difficult for them to not even necessarily win games, but just even gain ground. The biggest issue is I, I know they went out and they signed Chris Bryant last year. He he didn't play much. He was hurt a bit. It seems to kind of be the thing with him nowadays. Jonathan Daz is a guy who I do like. I think he's someone who can definitely blossom this year. I think he's someone who can he can hit both right and left-handed pitching. He, he's someone who can definitely show me something with the amount of playing time he should get with Grichik uh, sidelined for right now. I wouldn't be surprised if Daza slides over into right field once Grichik is healthy or he even keeps the center field job. Brendan Rodgers is a huge hit for them. He's a talented guy who plays second base and it pushes Ryan McMahon to second. I, I don't necessarily know if they like having him playing at second base every day i'm sure they'd rather him playing third but you know for this it's it is what it is it makes the lineup at least doable the pitching is is where i want to take a look because i think kyle freeland is a guy who you know he's on and off it's tough to pitch in course field but with guys like daniel bard and you know, uh, Peter Lambert, Denelson Lamette. Can Denelson Lamette figure it out? Because this guy was supposed to be one of the biggest prospects for the San Diego Padres before he was eventually traded away. Now he finds himself in Colorado. He didn't pitch much last year, just 31 innings or 32 and a third innings last year, but he pitched to a 6-1-2 ERA. He did have 45 strikeouts. So that is a lot of strikeouts, but you know, he's got a career 408 ERA. He's 16 and 20, 335 innings, 
but 439 strikeouts, a career one, two, three whip. So his whip isn't bad. The strikeouts are there. He's just got to find a way to limit the long ball, limit the walks, keep people off base. I'm interested to see how he fares in the new look Major League Baseball when speed is going to be something that's prioritized. I think control for pitchers is going to be a big thing to look at. And when you play in Coors Field, it's going to be about control not just about throwing it into the strike zone, but finding corners because you cannot leave a ball over the plate there. And outside of Herman Marquez, they don't really have too many proven arms. And even Marquez has not been very good uh, the last couple of years. I mean, last year he pitched to a 4.95 ERA, 181 innings and 150 strikeouts. You could chalk some of that up to Coors Field, but this is a guy who's supposed to be their ace. He was their ace when this team was running into the playoffs through the wild card back at the latter half of the, this past decade. But, I mean, just for the Rockies' sake, it's it, there aren't too many bright spots. Yeah, I, I just don't feel that the Rockies have it in them. I don't think they have much fight in them this year. I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Chris Bryant ends up getting traded. They're going to be sellers. thought Herman Marquez was going to get moved at the deadline last year. I'm almost positive he'll get moved this year, even with that, uh, I believe he got a new contract. He's just somebody that could be of use elsewhere, Kyle Freeland. They don't really have all too much coming up, even with the prospects. They have some good ones, but nothing great. It's just a team that's looking for its identity. They might have a little bit brighter of a future than like the Detroit Tigers that we talked about a few episodes ago, but they're just a team that just is aging poorly and isn't able to figure out their spot in the league. You think they trade Chris Bryan after giving him the seven-year, $182 million deal like last season? Absolutely. They were talks. They were talking about trading him this past offseason, and people were surprised he signed there, you know? It's just a very movable contract for a player of his caliber, too. Well, is it, though? He has to stay healthy, and I think that's part of the reason why they didn't get to move him this year, because they're not going to sell him off for a bag of chips. I think the big thing to look at with Chris Bryant is more along the lines of it's going to – now Colorado probably looks. When they signed him, they were hoping to compete for the division still. They thought maybe they were good enough to compete and make a run at the wild card with the new wild card added – I think they realize just where they sit in the division and where they sit now and shedding the salary and trying to give that money elsewhere is what they're going to eventually try to do. Now, you know, let's move on to another not so great team, the Arizona Diamondbacks, their rotation, Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, Madison Bumgarner, Zach Davies, Ryan Nelson. They're on the field. They're going to be putting out Carson Kelly catching. Say that 15 times fast. First base, Christian Walker. Second base, Ketel Marte. Third base, Josh Rojas. Shortstop, Nick Ahmed. Left field, Corbin Carroll. Center field, Alec Thomas. Right field, Jake McCarthy. Their DH will be former Blue Jay, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. My question to you guys, Corbin Carroll signed an eight-year, $111 million deal, buying out at least two free agency years, plus more with some team options. It's the largest contract for a player who has under 100 days service time. How do you guys feel about teams doing this and players accepting it? Should more teams be doing this? This is almost the Atlanta Braves method of locking players up. 
Or is it almost like a scummy thing for teams to do, taking advantage of young players who are getting paid well below what they might end up making on the open market? It's not scummy. And I'll tell you why. Because think about it. They're not they're not making any money until year four at the very earliest, maybe even year five, if they manipulate the service time. So for some of these guys, it's no guarantee. These teams are handing out these contracts, but they're doing it without anything to base it on. So, you know, they're banking on you just as much as, you know, you would be banking on yourself if you didn't sign this contract. It's not like they're not paying this guy a good amount of money. It's not like he's not getting paid and he will still have the chance to sign a big contract after that. He's young enough. So it's not, it's not one of those things where I think the teams are being scummy. I think they're making a smart investment and that's what you need to look at. There's trade-offs with it. It's not like, you know, what the bulls did with Scotty Pippen, but even what the bulls did with Scotty Pippen was fair. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where they're going to give you the money more up front. It evens out. Obviously, yes, he might lose out on a little bit, but you're saving out on that risk. And I think that's what is the most important thing to look at here is the team is taking the risk by signing that contract. The player will sign. Yeah, he he doesn't get to hit free agency as soon, but what it does do for him is it gives him the stability to know, hey, I could just go out and play baseball. I don't have to worry about getting myself paid. I've already done that. I think these contracts don't really hurt players like Corbin Carroll as much as it hurts pitchers. I think these type of contracts are definitely like more scummy towards pitchers and stuff because he, because like because uh, when they're young and stuff, you don't. They're only usually pitchers you know they get past their prime really quick and they're only good for like a finite amount of years and then they drop off so if they can't you know go and make their money you know go and get money in free agency and stuff and they're like locked up for the years like they lose out on a lot of money and then by the time they're actually go like able to go and look for a deal like they might not just be as good as they were and just like leave a lot of money left on the table i kind of agree with you ben on the the principle of that it's not a scummy a scummy thing to do. These players are making more money and it might even out over time. But then again, Corbin Carroll's 22 years old. There's a chance he doesn't hit free agency until he's 32. And we see how that market treats players. Once you get past 30 years old, a lot of times the money and the the long-term safety kind of evaporates. So I think buying out the arbitration years, buying out a year, maybe two of uh, free agency is fine. But once you get into the buying out up to four years of free agency, especially for a contract like this, the gamble really ends up lying more on the player than the team because obviously the team can just designate them for assignment. And we've seen how the salary uh, luxury tax rises where the team, especially like the Diamondbacks who don't pay players a lot, could absorb a cut like that. But a guy like Corbin Carroll, if he ends up being a stud player like we've seen in uh, hit for agency in the past, like a judge, a Bogarts, a soon-to-be Soto or Otani, he could end up getting at 28 years old if everything worked out well for him, you know, 200-plus million dollars. So he gets the security now, but he loses, he loses out on the chance to cash in again for a big money. And 
John, I get what you're saying about the pitchers. We don't typically see this type of contract given to them because of how volatile their arms are. The Yankees bought out two years of uh, Luis Severino's free agency, and we've seen how he's pitched once since he put pen to paper, and now we're in a contract year for him again. So it doesn't always work out well for the team. The teams need to be smart. What the Mariners did with Julio Rodriguez is really uh, the picture for it, though, where they gave him a massive contract that really pays him in line with being the superstar that he is. And Corbin Carroll has a chance to be a a superstar on that level. But $111 million for what could end up being, you know, uh, 10 years, obviously the two years after the eight with the 111 will get added more money. I believe it's another 28 million per year, which again, boosts up the contract, but we've seen contracts get bigger and bigger and they inflate. So overall though, I do think teams are definitely well within their right to do it. And I think it's safer for the player to take a contract like this, but they should really think about how many years they're really selling and their possible earning potential. It might be better off for their best interest to take a take less years, but buy out, you know, one year free agency, buy out your arbitration and work with the team that way than really selling it out, selling it all out and not hitting free agency until you're in your, you know, almost in your mid thirties. That's the thing though, Corey. You there's give and take, right? You can't you can't just expect every team to go do what the Mariners just did with Julio Rodriguez, because ultimately that is not a smart business decision. The bottom line is you don't have to pay these guys until they hit arbitration in year four. So yes, you get paid more years, one through three, you sacrifice maybe a little bit, not to in Carol's instance, it won't be too much in arbitration, at least the first year, but you hit, you, you said the key word there. He has a chance to be like Juan Soto. He has a chance to be a guy who produces. He, You do not know. So the team is taking a gamble by giving him this contract. It's not scummy to give someone $111 million over eight years, plus whatever more they're going to, it is with the options. It's not a scummy thing to do. Yes, he may be losing out on some money, but he's still getting $110 million plus dollars. I do not feel bad for him. He didn't have to sign the contract. And to our, like kind of say, oh, you know, maybe only buy one year out of free agency. Well, the Diamondbacks clearly didn't want to do that. I think Carroll would have tried to do that if he could. But at the same time, the Diamondbacks probably said to him, if you want to sign with us, if you want this extension and you want to get paid, this is what the years are going to look like. And that's where Carroll sits down. He says to himself, all right, do I sign Like, do I sign this, take the $111 million over eight years, or do I bet on myself? The bottom line is it's Carroll's choice. He didn't have to sign the contract extension. He did. So, no, I. it's not scummy. It's It really is just teams doing what they're supposed to do and players signing the contracts. If it was scummy and it was unfair, players wouldn't be signing these deals. I get they're young, but you know what? At the same time, they also want that security. So it comes. There's give and take. You can't just take everything. You're not going to be the one who gets everything in a deal. That's not how negotiating works. These guys have to be able to go back and forth, give a little, take a little, figure out what you want to compromise on, and that's how the deals get worked out. You can't just say, oh, well, you know what? I want 
I want to get paid this much. And then once my service time is good and I can become a free agent, I want to be a free agent. Well, no, because the reason why you get paid now is because the team will keep you a little bit longer before you can become a free agent. That's where the give and take comes from. You know, I've been reading the book, Winning Fixes Everything, about the Houston Astros. And this really brings me back to a, a part in that book. Jose Altuve was one of these players. He was one of the first ones to really, in modern baseball, signed an early contract like this that bought out some free agency years. And he actually fired his agent and went away from his agent because his agent told him, don't do this. You're insane. And he said, no, no, I need the money for my family. So teams do manipulate like that. You've also had whispers of teams saying, if you sign this contract now, we'll bring you up to the big league squad and play you right away. But if you don't, we're going to stick you, keep you down in the minors, and you're going to be there for a little bit longer until we deem that you're ready. So there's other mitigating factors. And you're totally not wrong, Ben. You are right. Nobody's forcing the players to sign it. But the players have little to no leverage when they do sign these contracts or get brought up on these talks. They're getting thrown more money than they've ever seen in their life more money than them, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents have ever made combined. So it is something to be looked at as almost having them getting taken advantage of. It's just something that, not necessarily monitored, but the book does state that the league is monitoring these types of contract talks as a way to get around free agency and arbitration. And the union also doesn't look too favorably upon these also because it tanks the player market. So there's other factors behind the scenes that go into it. It's not just good for the team, good for the player. The player doesn't have much ground to stand on with these contracts. They could say no, but it could really hurt their standing with the team because don't tell me teams don't hold grudges. And all they want to do is get to the big leagues. And if somebody says, here, sign this, and you'll be playing on opening day, as opposed to say no, you'll be going down to Toledo you know, for a couple more months. Some players might just jump at the chance and say, screw it, that's future me problem. It's a tough situation, but then again, these guys are getting millions of dollars when they do make that decision. So it's hard to put that in perspective. It's not like they're not getting generational wealth because, again, Absolutely. $110 million. It's not like they're paying the guy $40 million. Even then, it's $40 million. Corey, if they told you you get $40 million to go play baseball for eight years, you're telling me you say no? No, that's but that's my point exactly. How do you say no? You don't exactly. So how how unfair is it really? I think what it comes down to is yes. You know what these plus some of these guys are making these huge numbers, but really, how much is a baseball player worth? And that's what you turn and look at when you're Corbin Carroll and you're given this much money to play baseball for eight years. How much is it really worth for me to play baseball? I get that I can make more money. But I have this guarantee before I even really establish myself as a big leaguer. You can't say no. Let's move on now to the San Francisco Giants, a team that I really don't know what to make. Their rotation, Logan Webb, Alex Cobb, Sean Manaya, Ross Stripling, Alex Wood, not too bad. Following them up, you're going to have Joey Bart catching, Lamont Wade Jr. first base. I actually really like Lamont Wade Jr., Tyro Estrada, second base, David VR, third base, shortstop, the old man, Brandon Crawford, left field, Ben's old boy, Michael Conforto, center field, Mike Yastrzemski, 
right field, Mitch Hanniger. They're going to be DHing free agent signing Jock Peterson. San Fran, all good, no bad, no great. Can they be a sneaky team, or is this something where uh, average won't get you far? This team is littered with former Mets, Corey. J.D. Davis, Wilmer Flores, Michael Conforto. I I mean, love to see it, but I, I mean, I think, oh, and also don't forget about Thomas Sapaki as well. Uh, so I think having the Rogers uh, brothers is pretty cool, Tyler and Taylor both in the bullpen, I think you said it best. They're, they have solid pieces everywhere. There's not a lot of bad, but there's also not a lot of great. And I think that's really where they're going to run into the biggest problems is they just don't have a lot of enough great to really get them far. How good do you expect Michael Conforto to be? I mean, he hasn't played in a year. He's coming off the injury. And really, his best season feels like it was 2017. Am I wrong? It, it's just one of those things that... He is he really as good of a player as we thought? And I like Conforto. I really hope that he does succeed because I, I want to see him succeed. I always liked him in New York. I was a big fan of it. But for this Giants team as a whole, I think they'll win games. But I, in this division, are they a playoff team with, with the way the National League East shakes out? I'm not too sure. But there is definitely talent. And of the teams that aren't going to win their division, they're certainly one of the better ones. Yeah, it's just a tough team to make of. Their rotation, again, Logan Webb is very good. Alex Cobb, very good. I like Alex Wood, too. Sean Manaya has all the tools, not really able to put it together. Ross Stripling, I've seen him when he was with Toronto. Just a very decent arm. This is pretty solid one through five. Not really a weak spot there, but then again, they don't have an ace. They have a few number twos and threes scattered throughout the lineup. Nobody really stands out when you look at their uh, their you know their lineup in the field. Joey Bart was a guy that was supposed to be the heir apparent to Buster Posey, and he just really never turned it on. Tyro Estrada is a cast off from the Yankees. Mike Yastrzemski is not his grandfather, but the, they're a bunch of good players. So to me, this is a, like the definition of a 500 roster. They're just literally average. But a team that's not average, a team to me that is basically the NL All-Star team. So let's get into the NL All-Stars. I mean, the uh, San Diego Padres, my bad. They're trotting out you Darvish, Blake Snell, Nick Martinez, Seth Lugo, Ben, your boy again. Michael Waka, a lot of ex-Mets around the league. Uh, just to note, Joe Musgrove fractured his left big toe in the weight room a few weeks ago. There's no timetable for him, but he should be back sometime earlier on in the season. Their lineup, catching Austin Nola, first base, Jake Cronenworth. Second base, Ha-Sung Kim. Third base, Manny Machado. Shortstop, Xander Bogarts. Left field, Juan Soto. Center field, Trent Grisham. Right field right now is Matt Carpenter. Tatis is going to be playing a lot of outfield, but he's still uh, out. He's due back mid-late April. Nelson Cruz will be there, DH, the old man. Guys, how do we? what do we expect out of Fernando Tatis Jr. coming off his PED suspension and the injuries that he sustained? Is he somebody that could be penciled in to have an all-star season, or do we see some regression? Was he on PEDs for most of his career? Was he somebody that just was in the wrong place, wrong time, took the wrong supplement? That's what I believe. I just don't know what to make of Tatis. This is a, a roster of high-powered stars. How does he stack up against them? Can he keep up? 
I think the big thing is it's not necessarily important for Tatis to come through. And I think that's the way they built this roster at this point. That's why they went and got Sander Bogarts and said Tatis is going to move to the outfield because they went and got guys who can go fill in in the outfield if Tatis is not playing. I think that was the big move that they tried to do. I don't love Nelson Cruz as their DH, but I think bringing in Xander Bogarts was a good move. I like Ha-Sung Kim. I think he's a solid player as well. I think Jake Cronenworth can still hit the ball. I think the pitching is good. The bullpen should be good. I don't know how I feel about the back end of the starting rotation, though. I really don't. I think they're going to need a guy like Ryan Weathers to step up and be a big-time starting pitcher. I think that's the bottom line. I think they're going to need, you know, Joe Musgrove to get back and be healthy. Now, I know you mentioned Seth Lugo. Are they? Is Seth Lugo going to start games for them this year? Yeah, he's slated in as their number four starter right now. So even when Musgrove comes back, it looks like Walker's going to get bumped to the pen. Yeah, and I don't. We'll we'll see because Musgrove will have some time. We'll see how Seth Lugo works out as a starter. Again, I I saw him go on that run in sixteen when he was converted back to a starter in twenty twenty. How good was Seth Lugo? Not really. I mean, he he wasn't as dominant. There's a reason why the Mets wanted to keep him in the bullpen, and it's because that's where most of his success came from. I get that he wanted to be a starter. It's just not really it's it doesn't really seem to be panning out for him like that. I think he's someone who has spent a little bit too much time in the bullpen. I don't really trust him as a starter. We all know what Michael Waka is at this point in his career. He's he's a number 5 starter. Hopefully for their sake he's the one who gets bumped and you know Seth Lugo can be a solid starter. But you know the top end of the rotation is solid for these guys. I think that guys like Jay Groom, Josh Hader, Tim Hill hopefully can help lock things down to the back end of the bullpen. You know, they have Drew Pomerantz as well. Uh, so, you know, we'll see if this team really is as good. But I think the biggest issue is the fact that they're going to be competing with the Dodgers. I think the Padres have a really, com- like, all-around complete team with pitching, just defense, offense, all of it. I think they're a very complete team. I think – uh, Tatis might come off, might come off to like a, might start, might come off with a slow start, you know, when he comes back, but I think you'll probably see him back to how he was prior the injuries and the suspension. And I think if the Padres, if, uh, if, and I think if the Juan Soto from two years ago, you know, if the, if the Padres get the Juan Soto from two years ago this year, I think they're going to be very, very good and very hard to beat. And I think, you know, after, you know, about a year after the, you know, the Josh Hader trade, I think he's feeling more comfortable with the Padres now. So hopefully he will start pitching better too. Yeah, Ben, you mentioned Jay Groom before. And Jay Groom's a guy the Padres have always loved. There was reports that when they traded Hosmer to the Red Sox, all they really wanted back was Jay Groom because they were ready to select him, I believe it was 16th overall in the draft in 2016. And the Red Sox took him at 12 and really surprised them. They love his stuff, and they were really excited to work with him. He's somebody who I could see getting brought and making a decent uh, contribution to this team. They have, a, they have a few question marks. Joe Musgrove's health, again, a toe injury is tough, especially for a pitcher. And the fact that it's fractured, that's not good. Seth Lugo, well, what is he going to be? Corey, Corey, we have to we, – we can't just jump over Jake Rome, right? Yeah. I mean – you you know who you remember Jake Room, senior year of high school. 
I mean, yeah. we, we were we were also we were on a team that was competing for one of the top t- spots in the state at the beginning of the season. And it was Jay Groom's uh, Barnegat team that had that had that uh, that spot. So, I, I mean, we can't overlook the fact that we were all, we were playing and we were seniors at the same time as this guy. And now he's getting ready to make major league contributions. Yeah, that and you remember uh, Harry Rutkowski from Woodbridge shutting us down with that curveball. He's going to be uh, gearing up to maybe make some contributions to the Blue Jays in a few years. Yeah, it, it, we we had a loaded class in our state. But things change. Jay Groom isn't the dominant force that he was in high school. And you know what? Seth Lugo isn't the dominant force he was at the beginning of his career. Phenomenal reliever. He signed with the Padres because they were the only team willing to give him a shot to be a starter. I believe that's a big reason he didn't go back to the Mets. The Mets were just like, you're a reliever and that's it. Padres would give him a chance to start. I love the Matt Carpenter love with him possibly getting starts in right field. Matty Mustache holds a very uh, important place in Yankee fans' hearts. Tatis will probably take over and right, play a little bit of center. The Padres are just all around have what seems to be on paper an unstoppable force of a team. And, you know, the Dodgers used to have a, a team like that. They used to be just all-star everywhere. But they've kind of fallen off little by little, year after year, letting Corey Seager go, letting Trey Turner go, losing Gavin Lux now. They don't really have a shortstop. The Dodgers are a team. I I disagree with that. Do not sleep on Miguel Rojas. Well, let me get there. Let me get there. Just painting a picture there, Benjamin. The Dodgers are a team in transition. They aren't the, uh, the world beaters that they were even last year when they won 111 games but they do still have a really solid foundation to compete with their rotation. Clayton Kershaw, future hall of famer, Julio Urias, Tony Gonsolin, Noah Syndergaard. Wow. Another ex met Dustin may Will Smith catching Freddie Freeman at first, Miguel Vargas at second, Max Muncie at third, Miguel Rojas at short, David Peralta on the left, Trace Thompson, brother of clay in center, Mookie Betts in right, DHing JD Martinez. And as I mentioned before, Gavin Lux tore his ACL during spring training. He's out for the year. These Dodgers seem less fearsome, right? Are they going to be able to uh, maintain that, you know, best team in baseball mentality? Or do you think they might absorb into that? We're the underdogs now, especially in a division with the Padres. How do the Dodgers view themselves and why are they not? as far away from what they used to be as it seems. I think the biggest thing to look at is don't necessarily look at this team in comparison to last year. Look at it in comparison to two years ago, to three years ago, and you'll see it's more on par than you think. Now they get Cody Bellinger out of there. Trace Thompson looks like a budding star. I know he's getting up there in age already, but this guy is certainly someone who I think can go out there and help you win games. I mean, you, you look at what he's – he had a couple of home runs in the World Baseball Classic. You know, this guy can play. I think bringing in J.D. Martinez is a solid move as your D.H. Miguel Rojas is a very, very good shortstop. I've seen him play for – quite a while you know this guy has shown that he can play he can lead a team and you know 
uh, he he can certainly hit the baseball, and he's a very very strong fielder. The last few years in Miami have certainly been interesting. I like to see him go back to LA. Believe it or not, this is where he started his career in 2014 before heading to Miami. And you know, for a guy like Rojas, he can definitely be a guy who fits in there nicely and quietly has a really big season. I think Max Muncy's a great player. I think Freddie Freeman's a great player. I think Muncy, the biggest thing for him is he just has to stay comfortable and he's going to get consistent playing time. I think the pitching is still there. They have two really strong catchers in Will Smith and Austin Barnes. Austin Barnes is a very, very good backup. And I mean, between Arias, Syndergaard, Kershaw, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, I, whatever you want to throw out there for their starters, it's good. I mean, Shelby Miller's here in Los Angeles on the 40-man roster. So, you know, the you got you have talent. Alex Vecia in the bullpen. Alex Reyes in the bullpen. You also, I mean, whether Gonsolin's a starter or in the bullpen, Caleb Ferguson's looking like a strong left-hander for them. This is definitely... I think a great team. And I think the important thing to look at is that, yeah, while they may not be that 111 win team from last year, I still see this as a 100 win baseball team, just because they lost some stars last year does not mean they still don't have that star power because I do think that they do. I totally agree. I think their implosion is being overblown. They have a lot of the same pieces from last year and sure they lost, a couple guys, especially like Trey Turner to the Phillies, losing Gavin Lux to injury, but they just always replace. They have a very good farm system, good coaching. They're going to make moves. A guy like Isaiah Connor falefa has been thrown around the Dodgers way, right? He's somebody that could take some uh, innings away from uh, Miggy Rowe and a bunch of guys there. The Dodgers aren't complete yet. They're going to make moves, and – they just have great players all around. They might not win their division, but they still will be a force to be reckoned with once the playoffs start as a wild card. But let's now go on to our predictions. Guys, I have the San Diego Padres winning the division at 162. They won 100 games, not one game more. Pakoda has them in second place with 93 and 69. How do you guys feel about the Padres? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, the Padres are certainly a strong team on paper. And while I think they're going to be good and they're going to be a playoff team again, I don't think they win the division. I think that this is a team that comes close to 95 wins. I think they they might even break 100. But look, the Dodgers are still the kings of the division, in my opinion. So for the Padres' sake, I do think that the Padres are really just a strong baseball team on paper. I think they might even push for that first wild card spot this year. I think the National League East might take a step back, not getting all those games against the Nationals and Marlins. But really, I think just for the Padres' sake, their pitching's really good. Their offense and their lineup's really good. And then they're going to be adding in Tatis. He's going to be like a trade acquisition. So really a strong team in San Diego. I think they're closer to that 93-95 win range, though. I think the Padres are definitely going to win a division here. I think, you know, I think after the Dodgers just losing, you know, Trey Turner and Justin Turner this year. And I mean, they have, I mean, obviously the Dodgers have a lot of faith in their farm system, but I still think the Padres just have like a way better, more complete team. And I think they're 100% going to take the divisions. And I wouldn't be surprised if they come close to, if they break 100 wins this year. Yeah, now the Dodgers are the team I have in second place. 90-72 and 72 record. Surprisingly, a 21-game drop from last year. 
but still 90 wins is very good. I think they'll be a wild card contender, but playing a lot of the better American League teams, especially now losing games against the Giants, Diamondbacks, and Rockies, will hurt the Dodgers' overall bloated record. But it's going to be tough. Pakoda has them at 94 and 68, so I am going with the under. But the Dodgers are a team that they'll be competed, they'll be competitive, but they aren't world beaters. Hammer the over. Hammer the over. Hammer the over. I think this team, at the very least, is able to win 95 games. I wouldn't be surprised if they hit 100 again. I do think they're going to end up winning the division, though. I am not ready to crown the Padres division champions just yet. I understand that they did finally expel some of those demons and beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. I think the Dodgers were just a bit gassed, though. We saw that. The Mets, the Braves, and the Dodgers, they were the three best teams in the National League all season long, and all three of them were bounced in their first playoff series. And it's not a coincidence. Those teams burned themselves out in the regular season. I think we're going to see a bit of a different strategy for teams going through the regular season. And that might be why the Dodgers win total isn't what it is. But I think they are still the best team in the National League West. Now, I have a surprising team in third place. I think the Diamondbacks take a bit of a jump up. They have a lot of young guys on that team that I'm really excited to see. I do like their pitching staff a lot with Gallon and Kelly mad bum if he still has any of that magic left in him but with all that said i still think they are under 500 they go 78 and 84 a four game jump from last year but enough to put them in third place pakota has them at 74 and 88 how are you guys feeling about the d-backs I'm with you where I feel better than Pagoda does about them. I think this is a team that can crack 80 wins. I don't necessarily think they're a 500 baseball team, and I'm not too sure they end up in third place, but I do think they're going to push the Giants for it. I think that this is a much improved ball club. I love Kyle Lewis in center field. I really like them bringing in Lords Goriel. You got Corbin Carroll. If he ends up being the guy they think he is, that's, that's great for them. Then you throw in guys like Paven Smith, and you throw in guys like Christian Walker. Josh Rojas is solid. Kettle Marte is a stud. So, you know, I mean, this is a, a group of guys that can play. I like Seth Beer, greatest name in baseball. So, you know, Nick Ahmed's a solid player as well. They have Carson Kelly, who's a very underrated catcher, in my opinion. He's one of the better offensive guys in the league. The way Carson Kelly can hit the ball is definitely underrated. The guy had a 282 on base. I know his 211 average last year was not as desired, but he has 43 career home runs. He has a career on base percentage above 300. And in terms of what you get production-wise out of the catcher position is really just usually not well. I think he's going to take a bit of a step this year. I think we're going to see more from him. And I think the pitching just has to be better, right? There's no way it is as bad as we have seen. Zach Gallen has proven he can be one of the upper echelon pitchers in the league. I'm a big fan of Zach Davies. I like what they did for the bullpen by bringing in Miguel Castro and Andrew Chafin and just overall, I think they will be a better team. They joined Mark Melanson out there in the back end of the bullpen. Mad Bum in the rotation as well. It's a it's a stronger group in Arizona, that's for sure. But I see them right around the 80-win mark. They'll be better than last year, but they won't be above 500. I think the Diamondbacks are going to be like sneaky good this year. Like I think they're gonna make a I think they're gonna make a, a big push this year and wouldn't be surprised if they squeezed in the third at the end there ahead of the Giants. 
I think with Corbin Carroll and all the other people that they have now, like that they that they have and all the and just coming up to their farm system, I think they can really make a push this year. I don't know if they're going to make it to the wild card of the playoff, but they definitely, I think, can probably squeeze in the third at the end there. So if the Diamondbacks are in third, obviously the Giants are going to be in fourth place for me. 77 and 85, just one game under the Diamondbacks. So it will be a dogfight going to the end. Dakota has them 80 and 82. One game off from their last year's record of 81-81-500. And the Giants are the definition of mediocre. I said it earlier and I'll say it again, but they don't get the beat up on the bad teams as much anymore. How does that mediocre team fare against Astros, Yankees, Mets, in addition to the Dodgers and Padres? How are they going to do against better competition? And I don't think they're going to do that well. Mediocre is going to be slightly under mediocre this year, in my opinion. Yes, this was a 500 baseball team last year, but you have to realize they underachieved and they went and tried to improve their team this year. Now, while they weren't able to bring in their guy in Carlos Correa, and that really kind of handcuffed them because they, they, they thought that they had their guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, and Judge, too. I mean, they, they're big free agent signings that they went to go get. Just didn't they, – they ended up, like, spurning them. It, it appeared like deals were signed. So – yeah, the Giants went through a little bit, and they didn't necessarily bring in the guys they wanted. But to say that they're mediocre, I don't think is really fair. I think they, yeah, last year they were average. They were mediocre. I think that this is still a good baseball team with a bunch of good players on it. I don't really see an area where they have a big deficiency, except maybe, maybe on the bench and Gabe Kapler. I'm not a big Gabe Kapler fan. I'm not a fan of the way they roll out their platoons, but it's not my baseball team, so I don't really have a say in it. I think the Giants, though, are certainly better than they were last year. I like them bringing in Michael Conforto, seeing what he can do. I'm interested to see what Jock Peterson does in year two in San Francisco. I like Lamont Wade. I like Mike Yastrzemski. I like Wilmer Flores. I think J.D. Davis is finally going to settle in and find a home where he is going to play almost every day, and it's really going to help him find his footing. I think Thomas Sapaki is going to be a guy to look out for this year. Left-handed arm, can start games, can go out of the bullpen. I know he was shaky last year, but he's someone to look for, maybe not making the roster on opening day, but someone who definitely contributes and throws innings for the San Francisco Giants this year. I think this team finishes above 500 this year in third place in the division but they're not going to get much further than 85 wins. Like I was saying earlier, I think the Giants have to be careful and just watch out for the Diamondbacks because I think if they drop a lot of games to some of the, you know, some of the worst teams in the league now with how the schedule is, they can't really afford to do that anymore. And if they drop too many games against those teams, I think you can say goodbye to any chance of them. They can say goodbye to any chance of them, you know, getting the third place or even have like a wild card berth there. So they just have to be very careful just not to lose those, you know, must-win games against those easier teams if they want to make it the third. Last up, the Colorado Rockies. Poor Rocky fans, man. 62 and 100 is my guess. Nice even, nice and round. Pakoda has them 64 and 98. Pakoda has them, I think, rated to be the worst team in baseball this season. They just have nothing going for them. They're, they, they should be sellers at the deadline. It's just a sad existence out there in the mountains. Beautiful stadium, great atmosphere, great great fans there. What is ownership doing not putting out a winner for them? They, they're trying, I guess, but not trying hard enough. 
you see a team like the Diamondbacks who are in the same position as them, slowly but surely moving their way up in the division and in the league. And the Rockies are just still slipping down. So I have them at last place, possibly the worst record of baseball, just a really bad team overall. Yeah, the Rockies are going to be rough this year. There is no denying that. The team just doesn't have the talent and the firepower that even the rest of the division has. Like, even even Arizona has some things to be excited about. Now, I do want to see, I think it is a difficult place for a pitcher to try to figure himself out. But I do want to see if Denelson Lamette is able to figure things out because it's going to be a low-pressure situation, and maybe he is able to find his way. Now, you also look... Uh, I think when Randall Gretchen gets back, maybe the lineup deepens a little bit. Uh, Chris Bryant has to stay healthy. Uh, losing Brendan Rodgers, though, is just a big hit for them. They really don't have a lot of firepower. Their best pitcher has not been very good for them lately. So really, it, it does just come down to where are their wins coming from? This is what we said about the Tigers. Where are the runs? Where are the wins at the, on the mound coming from? And you just don't see them. You you can't find them. And that's the biggest issue for the Rockies as well. They might be down there near the worst teams in the league, and I think they're going to be the only team in the National League West to not top 65 wins. Do Rockies fans have anything to like look forward to, or that's like kind of like a you know a light in the darkness to look forward to in the future? Not really. No, their prospect list isn't incredibly great. There's always some guys that might turn into something. But the Rockies just, they aren't built. to They're not built to win or succeed right now. In their top prospects, they have Zach Veen, who is very good. Ezekiel Tovar is their second-best prospect, and he's going to be their opening day shortstop, it looks like. Adele, Adamar, Drew Romo. They have guys, but nothing really crazy. If I'm looking at their top, uh, the top 100 prospect list in baseball, right? Zach Veen is number 23 in the top 100. It's a good spot. Tovar's 27, but Tovar's going to be already on their roster. Zach Veen won't be far behind them as an outfielder, but a team that's been in the Rockies' position should really have much more in the top 100. Still scrolling through, looking, waiting to find another Rocky. Oh, wait, I'm at the end. There's not another Rocky here. But you see teams in their division, Padres, Dodgers, Diamondbacks, even a giant here and there in this list. The Rockies aren't built for success and that's why they need to train trade away some of these guys and that's why i think they're going to be a bad team but that's going to do it here for the outsider sports baseball podcast another episode in the books it was a good one preview in the nl west al west coming up next time around make sure to catch us outsidersports.net's the website come read our good stuff some very talented writers on staff twitter outsider sports three always tweeting sports Look us up on YouTube and TikTok. Search Outsider Sports will be the hopefully the first ones that come up. But that'll do it here. Keep tuning in. We'll be back with another one. AL West coming up. Trout, Otani, Julio. Who doesn't love it? <laughs>